Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm super excited to have this gentleman on today. Coming from North Carolina, he's been in the game for the last eight years. What's really cool and very interesting is started off with wholesaling after college, but you know transitioned into taking property himself, getting rental properties, and found himself investing in properties that came with Section 8. So right. turned it into a whole successful model of yeah. having 400 plus doors at this point, but a huge majority of it, I would probably say like 75, 80% of it yeah, is actually like That's section crazy. eight. So right. he's teaching it now. He's helping out more people and just super excited to have him on. Tom Cruise. What a name too. I love that. Oh so, yeah. Easy to remember. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. For anybody out there that doesn't know more about your background, your history, who you are, do you mind just diving into, first off, how you got the name maybe? and then That's pretty easy. I was actually born in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. My dad's Brazilian. So I grew up there for five years before we moved to the US. And my last name obviously was, my dad's last name was Cruz. And they wanted a name that you could say in Portuguese and English the same. And Tom, it was. So in 1988, Tom Cruise wasn't that big of a household name. So it wasn't a it was kind of a coincidence more than anything, but yeah, That's I mean, cool. now it, it's very helpful. Investors remember my name, yeah. uh, tenants remember my name. So it's, it's, it turned out to work out pretty good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you live in North Carolina now, basically Correct. when did you actually come from Brazil? You said yeah. five. Yeah, I was five years old. My parents moved us to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I grew up in Chapel Hill, ended up going to college at University of North Carolina at Wilmington, about two hours away from, from home. Studied and majored in finance, graduated and got started with real estate. Why yeah. real estate? Yeah, that's a good question. I fell into it, man. Right around college, I bought my first condo to live in and I did an FHA loan. I you know, put my little 3% down at the time. I had a marketing side hustle. So I was you know, funding it that way. And after about a year, I lived in it. And completely by happenstance, I didn't know about the one-year rule about being able to rent after that. It just happened. I, I bought a dog, a big Doberman Pinscher and my HOA at the condo would let me have them. So I had to buy a primary residence. So again, I'd saved up a bunch of cash from marketing and hadn't really started wholesaling at that point. I bought a single family property and I couldn't sell my condo. It was right after 08. It was, you know, the values were, were down and I was upside down. So I decided to rent the property and same day I found an amazing tenant. They had lived there for years actually after I was making $500 a month in cash flow from it. At the time, I didn't even know what cash flow was. I was just pumped that I was making 500 a month where yeah. I was killing myself for a client doing you know, web design at 500 bucks a month. Here I am every month, first of the month, my PayPal, I had them on a PayPal subscription or sorry, a Venmo subscription. And they would just manually send that payment every month. And that was it. I got hooked. I started buying condos. And that's kind of where I got into wholesaling. I researched more into real estate, learned more about how I could get into it. I saw wholesaling was the cheapest way, easiest way in. So I went all in on that. Obviously, I had a marketing background, so that made it easier for me to generate inbound leads. I just set up HubSpot, set up some bandit signs, set up you know a couple hundred dollar a month Facebook campaign, and just we buy houses in Wilmington, North Carolina. So yeah, and now from that point on, I was living as lean as I could. Every dollar went to down payments, and I built up good relationships locally with community banks. You know, got um, 
I maxed out my 10 residential loans. You know, you can do 10 per, per person. And I went that way. I started with condos. It was the cheapest option, $60,000, $70,000. I can get a three-bedroom condo. I wasn't doing Section 8 at this time. I was just renting them privately. I was making my little four or 500 bucks per unit. I'm yeah. very excited. And yeah, it adds took up. It from there. It adds up. Yeah. So I love that. And anybody, you know, when you just mentioned the uh, traditional loans for anybody out there that doesn't know what that is, like for Freddie and Franny, you know, government backed, that's uh, the traditional way you'll get the best interest rates and so forth. So at that point, there's still more options, but you definitely want to maximize that in the beginning, which is awesome. I'm curious about your financial, you know, college background history. Do you believe any of that actually had any type of effect on you or something that you utilize today? No, not at all, man. I knew early on I was going to be an entrepreneur, which is bizarre. Neither of my parents are entrepreneurs. They're all, you know, they work really? nine to fives and very stable and, you know, middle class and had a great, you know, upbringing. And, but they supported me with my entrepreneurship stuff. I mean, it started in middle school. I mean, I remember the moment when it hit. I saw my first Pokemon that I flipped for a hundred bucks at a YMCA after school, you know, a Charizard holographic card. I'll never forget. Came into my mom's Toyota Camry after after school. She thought I was selling drugs. And I was like, no, I sold Pokemon cards. I mean, like, I sold that one for a hundred and a few other ones. So, from that point on, I, I, I sold everything from paintball guns in high school. I was, I'm still huge into paintball. And then eventually in college, I got into marketing and then it transitioned into real estate. So I've already been you know, trying every, every model under the sun. I love it. And yeah. so what year did you get started in real estate? So I graduated college in 2010, 2000, I would say 12 was the first property that I bought. It was that first condo. Okay, nice. And yeah. so your strategy, you started picking more or less on the side of condos at that time. Correct. Because I lived in the condo. That was the first unit that I bought. Yeah. Like I said, with an FHA loan, so I already knew how it worked. And making 500 bucks a month, that was on top of paying a 250 a month, you know, COA, you know, condo yep. association dues. And we would have a hurricane and shingles would fly off the building next door. And I'm stuck paying assessments for the whole, you know, the whole complex. So I was like, this is for the the birds, like I'm, I'm sick of doing this model. So after about six or seven condos, I switched over to single family. This was a big shift because I'm, I'm paying a lot more. I went a little bit further upstream. I was buying 170 to $190,000 houses. So 20% down at the time. And that was 30, 40 grand. It took me a few months to save that up for marketing and, you know, reinvesting yeah. condo cash flow. So I was like, that's kind of where I had the light bulb moment onto the next step. And I can get into that unless you have any more questions. So before we jump into that next step, what did that look like? You basically started off picking up as many properties as you could within a short time frame. So right. you, you maxed out the 10 and then you started focusing on wholesaling. So I was doing wholesaling during that time. That's how I was okay. funding the deals. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had three income sources. I would do one or two wholesale deals per month, you know, through, like I said, inbound uh, leads that I was getting. And then I would be snowballing that cash flow from the condos that I'd be getting, you know, from that. And then I still was doing my marketing thing. And that was throwing off, you know, five to 7,000 bucks a month from just doing web designs, SEO, pay-per-click. So I would be combining that income every month and either saving it, or I would be, you know, buying a condo up until the point that I started getting single families. And then that's what I was saying. Now, instead of maybe getting one every two months, it was like one every four months. My, it slowed down a lot because I was buying a lot higher end properties. Sure. Okay. And then yeah. the rents on those, yeah. what were those typically? Yeah. With the condos, I was getting between 1050 and maybe 1100. They were mostly three bedroom condos. The two bedrooms at the time were going for like 900, 950. And I was putting 20% down on $70,000, you know, condos. So I was financing 56 grand. Yeah. On that's a or... one, two and 3% rule. Like you're, you're well yeah. in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was, it was one and a half to 1.7 normally. Yeah. So I was, yeah. So I, I was cash flowing that. And then I started doing the single family 
after three or four of them, I was just drained. I mean, I had no cash, you know, I was yeah. starting at zero every month. And I said, there's got to be a better way to this. So I got the idea because I was looking online all the time, you know, back in this is at this point, uh, 2013, you know, it's already been probably a year, year and a half since I started. And I decided to go lower stream and I, I bought my first $55,000 property in downtown Wilmington. Okay. And it was rented already for $1,350. Yeah. Um, three bedroom, one bath. It was built in 1920s. Um, nope. <laughs> not the best part of downtown, obviously for $55,000 house. The landlord was like 85 years old. He was done with it. He'd owned it forever. He'd already had it paid off, obviously. So um, I was like, yeah, I mean, the house looked in good shape. I walked it. Everything was fine. The tenant was cool. So I closed on it. And the day after I closed on it, he calls me and he's like, hey, we need to switch you over to accept Section 8 deposits. And I was like, what do you mean Section 8 deposits? He's like, how do you think I was getting $1,350 a month on a rent on a $55,000 unit in the middle of downtown? Yeah. I'm an idiot at this point, right? I mean, I had some units. I figured some stuff out, but I never, all I heard was bad things about Section 8, like everyone else, right? Sure. So yeah. I was like, oh man, like I am in for a world of hurt. If every, anything if I heard has been accurate. Yeah. But it turned out to be amazing. I switched over security deposit. The tenant was disabled. She was elderly. So Section 8 paid 100% of that. So $1,350 came directly into my bank account every month. Wow. And that's that was my second light bulb moment. I was like, okay, well, here we go. Now now I got to do more of these, you know? Because at, at the time I, I put $14,000, $12,000 down. It was way less than my forty or $35,000 I was used to. And yeah. I was making more cash flow from a percentage and a, and a cash perspective. I was making way more. So yeah. I, I, at that point, it was just rinsing and repeating. I figured out the model. I figured out in, inspections. That's the big thing with Section 8. Yeah. Yeah. I figured out where everyone screws up with Section 8, which is screening. Everyone yes. assumes that since the rent is guaranteed, that the tenant is guaranteed to be amazing. Not the case. Not um, the case at all. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. So if you think about it, Section 8 is just a payment method. You know, a tenant is a tenant. They both yeah. want to live in your unit. They're both going to pay you rent. Your regular market rate tenant might pay you with a check every month. They're paying you with a direct deposit from the federal government. So as long as you're able to streamline that process, being able to scale is a whole lot easier. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I think for a step-by-step -step for you yeah. know the listeners out there, I, I think it's incredibly important. We we have certain tenants that are on Section 8 as well. And we've had ones that could care a less about Section yeah. 8. Like they're okay with being kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's other ones that will do everything in their power to make sure that they're not because they need it. You know, I was personally raised on section eight. So I, I know the process and, uh, I remember the inspections. I remember oh, yeah. like, you know, um, but it is a certain type of class that you need to just make sure that you're getting the cream of the crop. Right. Yeah. And that's another big place where people make mistakes is the first people that come up with $2,000 and wave it, the cash in their face. Oh, yeah. I'll take it. You know? So yeah. those are the people you would purposely avoid. Yeah. So that's what I teach in the course, you know, and essentially the education I put together because it took, I mean, I got burned a lot of times doing things like that. Oh my God, I got the property. I have a mortgage coming up. It's vacant. What do I do? I yeah. just throw a tenant in there. And then two months later, the cops are calling every day. Neighbors are upset. Everyone's mad. And you, now you're stuck with an eviction. So it's a lot of learning. Me personally, how we screen our tenants is very similar to how a bank would screen us as we are trying to get a mortgage from them. But I'm curious, you know, do you have a step-by-step -step of how you normally, you know, do your screening? Yeah. I mean, we go, we go in a few extra steps past that. So we yeah. do, first of all, is eviction. If they fail eviction, regardless of the reason, it's not- If they've ever had one in the past. They've ever had one in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're gone. And then we go to background, then yep. any, any serious felonies, 
well, pretty much every felony serious, but any yeah. violent or sexually oriented felonies, then they're gone. If they had, you know, a few DUIs and they had a felony for it, depending on the rest of the credit, we'll look at it. We don't just wholesale disqualify all felons. And yeah. then we go into credit. Obviously, Section 8 is still not, is still paying their rent. But if they have a portion, like it or not, credit does say a lot about your ability to repay and, you know, keeping your promises. It's not... A lot of people don't like that, but it's true. If you now, go on there, yeah. Now, when it comes down to credit, is there certain things that you'll let slide? Like oh, yeah, me personally, yeah, yeah. I'll let medical bills slide yeah. because it's very notorious for yeah. you know people to let those or whatever maybe student loans. Sometimes I'll let that slide. Auto and credit cards is something that I, I normally I don't want to see late payments. I don't. Like any repossessions for cars, it's kind of in the same category as an eviction for me, because I look at it as a lot of people treasure their cars just as much as they do their homes. Right. If they're okay with letting that being taken, then it's not a good idea, right? Yeah. yeah. We're a little bit stricter. So with credit as it comes, medical will definitely let slide, especially depending on the age. I mean, if they got it two years ago and they haven't paid anything on it or even made, you know, an attempt to pay it, then we'll consider that. But foreclosures, bankruptcies, repossessions, that's a might as well be an eviction. Yep. The only reason I say that is because they've had so many opportunities to correct it before it gets that bad. Especially, like you said, if they don't care about their car getting repossessed, they're not going to care about your house getting repossessed through yeah. an eviction, you know? And then it says credit, eviction, background, and then we'll do home visits. My property managers will go to their house and see exactly how the condition of their current house. Their, their current one, where they're where living. they're living currently. Oh, Yeah. And you do you ask to walk through or the oh, yeah. property? Yeah. 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 If, they, if they get past the initial screening, say, great. Uh, we need to schedule a home visit just to see the current condition of your existing property. And they're taken back. And yeah. we normally do it, you know, within two or three days. And I mean, obviously they try to, you know, clean up and for the most part, but certain things, smoke, smell, dog urine, holes in the wall, you know, multiple abandoned cars in the driveway. You can't hide that. So it's very okay. telling. But yeah, that's one of the big things that we'll do. Wow, that is gold right there. I've yeah. never heard that. And yeah. I bet you that saves you so much. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, if they take care of their existing house, they're going to take care of your house of because course. you can only go so much on landlord references. I mean, yeah. landlords all the time will lie to you and say, oh yeah, these are great tenants. The amount of yeah. times that Just, I've had a tenant that I've done, a, yeah, get them out of my property. Yeah. They're great. You know, they yeah. pay every month, no damage. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, you can't go off of that. And then of course we check, you know, employment and we check, we do check pay stubs and so it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty thorough and it takes an hour. You know, my property manager yeah. will go out to their house. If they're not available, if they refuse to do it, even just the exterior. I mean, if, if the lawn is, you know, waist high, if there's a bunch of junk cars and, you know, they're hoarding in the backyard, you know, forget it. We're not going to deal with it. Now, when it comes down to jobs, I have so many people that call me up on a regular basis and like, yeah, I got a job, you know, and it's a, it's a month old or, and I was like, cool. So what did you do before that? And there's a huge gap and it, you yeah. know, um, so I always want to see at least one year with the same job uh, for yeah. consistency and so forth. Do you guys have certain restrictions? So with, with section eight, not as much as far as job employment, because I mean, most of the, most of the people that are doing that are jumping from job to job. So, and also it comes down to what, Section eight. The first question that I'll ask them is say, Hey, look, are you exist? Are you currently on section eight? Yes. What's your rent? 1200. How much do you pay? 500. That's a red flag. I'll then at that point, I take into a lot more consideration their credit, their job history, because that means that they're going to be, when they come over to us, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to have a huge percentage that they have to pay out of the total rent. You, usually that's because of them making, yeah, they're, they're yeah, making yeah. money. Yeah. Right. 
but if they have a sketchy credit history or if there's other, you know, kind of factors that roll into it, we look at yeah. the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, most of the time it's, you know, part-time at an employment, they don't have a ton of hours and Section 8's paying 90% of the rent. And that's what we love to see because then the risk is pretty low. We just have to make sure they're a good tenant. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Do you accept dogs and, and so forth? Yes, but we just have like heavy secure or heavy deposit, non-refundable. We take $500 yeah. per dog. And normally it's okay. We, we haven't had many issues with that. We also do a lot of inspections throughout the year. So if it gets bad, we just, you know, have them get rid of it. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. Well, I love that. Is, is there anything yeah. else that you would recommend to the listeners if they are just getting started with Section 8? That could be, you know, very yeah. detrimental when it comes down to their checklist. Yeah, the only person in this entire equation that matters is the Section 8 inspector. You have to treat them essentially like a god, a deity, however you want it. Whatever they say goes. If you argue yeah. with them, they're going to make your life hell. It's to the point where when we first got started, I was having my property managers bring them Dunkin' Donuts and a coffee to the inspections. So they loved us. Every single time we had an inspection, we got to the point where we would fail an inspection because of something you know minor. And he'd be like, oh, don't worry. I'll watch you down his path. Send me a picture. I'll mark it later. So when you have those relationships with inspectors, it makes yeah. the whole process a whole lot easier. Now with COVID, they don't do in-person inspections. But I know other landlords that are on Section 8 and they're like, oh yeah, you know, X, X or Y inspectors giving me a bunch of hard times. So I was like, all I do is I get my tenants to take pictures. We don't even go out there anymore. The tenants, I'll have them take a picture of each room underneath the sinks, all the things that they look for, yeah. send it back over to us. I forward it to them in just one nice zip file. They review it, they pass it, we're good for another year. Wow. So I'm See, hoping they stay on that because that would just yeah. make things, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. things very easy. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, we haven't had that much of a breeze through. Like our inspectors are still coming out. And there's always like, I feel like there's always something. Yeah. Like, because like their job is to to do something, right? They're not yeah. going, even they have if to everything check some is box. Yeah, yeah, they have to check something off. But yeah, we, we've built that relationship very strong, like you guys have. And they are always okay with, hey, take a picture of these minor things after it's installed or fixed, little yeah. things, and send it over and it's passed. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, which that's has always really been important. a blessing. But that's really yeah. the, the big thing. And I also say on their first few units, make that relationship as the owner yourself. Don't yeah. on your first unit send a property manager, unless you're doing it virtually, then you have no control. But sure. um, if you're doing it locally, just put a face to a name. It, it goes a long way with them. Yep. That's so good. I love it. And fix what they say. Nothing pisses them off more than them making a list and you ignoring it. And they come out to do a reinspection that makes them irate. And then they'll, they'll, they'll just put you on their, on their bad list. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be on the naughty list. Definitely yeah. want to stay on the good side. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Is there anything else that you would uh, recommend for that, for that checklist before we, um, move on? yeah. So as far as inspections, no, I mean, as far as marketing, we don't do much with marketing. We just let section eight know about it. And then yeah. they pretty much fill the unit for us. As far as just beginning in real estate in general, I would say the biggest thing that I run into, cause I, I literally have hundreds of coaching calls per month. So I'm on the phone all the time. That's yeah. my big thing now is, is education about section eight. And the biggest thing that I'm seeing is people are so stuck in these projections and pro formas. I'm like, look, man, it's a $60,000 house. You don't need this 10 page cash flow statement where you're estimating like, you know, stamp values on how much you're going to stamp and pay in office expenses to cash flow. Buy the property, yeah. make show on a macro level that it cash flows. And then the rest is easy. It's like going to college, going to the course, and then never applying it. You know, you can only learn so much in school by sitting there and, do, and just learning and seeing spreadsheets. So I would say don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. Put something under contract. 
you know, after you do your due diligence and then just go from there because the rest falls into place. After you buy your first unit, it's, it's pretty easy, but you're just copying and pasting again, you know, as many yeah. times as you can. I, I always tell it to a lot of our students that after your third deal, you should really have things down. You're going to have all the little jitters yeah. out. You'll have your gonna... team on. Yeah. You have yeah. a property manager, you have a closing attorney, you have an inspector, you have an agent, everything falls into place after you're right. I would say three units is a good number, but after yeah. the first unit, you at least know what to expect for your, for your future ones. Exactly. That is so good. Cool. So I want to talk about funding in a second, but I also know that, you know, you started off with condos, you jumped into single family houses afterwards, and right. I know you, you stayed around there for a little bit, but you also started getting into smaller residential, like multifamily. And yeah. I, I wanted to talk about that. Like, where was that transition? Why uh, did it, was it just, it, it popped up on your, on your desk and you're like, Hey, let's get no, it. I remember exactly when it happened. It's probably around 25 units. Okay. At that point, I was having enough cash flow where I was buying multiple units per month. And I was already now talk, talking to friends that were wanting to invest. And it came out of necessity. I remember distinctly going on to realtor.com, looking at under, every property under $100,000. And I had them all under contract. All yeah. of them. There's like nine of them, all of them under contract. So I was like, well, sh- shit, like, what do I do now? You know, yeah. I, there's no inventory. That's never happened to me. Yeah. So I started looking outside of the single family filter. I went multifamily. I saw duplexes, triplexes, quads. I made a lot of mistakes there. Like what? I made a lot of mistakes with buying units, for example, that weren't sem metered. I bought a quadplex one time and it was all a one meter and I got stuck paying power, water, gas. And when they're not paying for it, they don't care. They're going to, in the summer, keep it running, you know, run up the the water, the power. They, you'll get $1,200 power and you can't do anything about it. You know, you can't have them split it because they're all going to argue about who paid for what. And it's in your name. You know, you can't put it in any other name. So I have you got been rid able of to that, but that over time, have you been able to, get uh, the- we, we've done in North, in, in our municipality here in Wilmington, it's, it's rough because the water company won't honor your sub meter. So if I went and install a third party meter, they won't read it. You have to go out there and read it. And then you have to send it to them. They'll do the billing calculation. It's just not worth it. So we just don't buy them. I know in some other places it's better, but right now it's, it's awful. Wow. Yeah. yeah I didn't know that. And that's, that's a, a real big key factor right there because a lot of people, they don't look into like the city municipality of like what is truly oh, yeah. allowed, needed, how easy certain things are or how difficult. Like San Diego, man, permits for damn near anything right now is uh, I can it's imagine. forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and that's the same thing here. I mean, you're, you're waiting weeks for new construction or for remodels. And I mean, that's why I never got into flips. I've always been, you know, cash flow. Yeah. Predictable, predictable, predictable income. And then when I learned about Section 8 and these other subsidies, there's a bunch of other subsidies too that I'm involved with. It just works so much better. Last year yeah. in 2020, I never lost a night of sleep. You know, I always had my debt service covered. Um, I know people that, you know, got stuck with Airbnbs that they couldn't rent and they were arbitraging it, paying all these, you know, crazy rents. Yeah. People that had beach houses that they had $8,000 mortgages on their $3 million beach house and now no tenants to rent. Um, even in mid-grade, you know, people that were renting out $250,000 houses, and barely getting by with the rent, the second that unemployment spikes or you have any any, t- any type of interruption in the economy, yeah. you're so susceptible, you're stuck. And, and there's a lot right now, right? There's a lot of ups and downs with the market. So, right. you know, God forbid what what's going to be tomorrow. So yeah. I really do love your approach. Are you getting any type of distressed properties at all? Are you doing any type of light uh-huh. rehabs or everything is good to go? Oh, uh, no. I mean, there are some light rehabs. I mean, there's some units where I, I usually max out between five and 7,000 into what I'll put into a unit. If it needs more okay. than that, generally I'm not buying it. I'm, you know, it's, I like the curb appeal, 
but if, if it needs to be painted, I'll spend 1500 bucks on, and I'm also buying smaller properties. I'm not buying any 19, 2000 square foot properties. So turning them, getting them ready is a lot cheaper, a lot easier, but that's the extent is getting it ready for section inspection, making yeah. it look presentable. And that's it. Is there a certain age of the house that you like to stick with now or something that you've noticed over the times that like, Hey, I don't want to go back to um, these years not, anymore? Not really. I have a, I okay. would say over 30% of my portfolio, the units are over a hundred years old. Yeah. So a third it. of them. The thing with that is that everything's been redone. You know, there's new HVACs, yep. there's new roofs. I mean, the, the way they built those houses back then is insane. I mean, the structure, the it frame, is. the only thing that really falters sometimes is- yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just really good. The doors are still in one piece, solid wood doors. It can be foundation. Yeah, you have peers that, you know, are leaning over and you have to do some yep. foundation work. But again, thousand square foot house, maybe a few thousand bucks of foundation work. It's never exorbitant, but a couple steel beams in the basement and we're yeah. going to go. Yeah. yeah, check it up. I yeah. love it. Cool. So let's talk about funding for a second. Cause sure. I mean, bro, you have 400 doors at this yeah. point, you know, that's, that's not cheap. Even yeah. if you are cash flowing like crazy. So how the heck are you doing it? Yeah. So after I started getting to my caps inventory wise locally, I started reaching out to partners. That's like really. 25 doors, 25, 25, 30 doors is when I started okay. seeing like pushback and yep. I refused to go over hundred, 110,000. I didn't want to, you know, stretch my, this model at 130, 150 K. Yeah. So I was like, I got to buy more. The only way to do that is either buy in bulk from, you know, bigger investors or go out of city. My, my whole team was in Wilmington. I didn't want to go out of city. So I um, started partnering. I had a friend that I go to cars and coffee with all the time. He owns a labor and temp company. And he's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I showed him my, my cash flow. I had a track record at this point. So it made it a lot easier. I was like, look, dude, I'm making five or $600 per door guaranteed. I have a property management team at the time. At the time, I only had one property manager full time. I didn't have a company. I, I used my own person. And here are the cash flows. You know, here are the audit statements, whatever you want to see. I just need like half a million dollars. And he was like, okay. And that was it. It was a lot easier. The way I structured that deal was he put the down payment down and I did the financing. Because keep in mind at the time I had all these relationships with these banks because I've been having to cobble together this financing. Because yeah. as you've run into, I'm sure one bank will be like, we'll give you five houses or one bank will give you, you know, 300,000 in, in limits. They all yeah. limit you because none of them want a ton of exposure to one person, right? Yep. So at this point, the way that I, I got, you know, three houses with SunTrust, five houses with a credit union, two houses with some local podunk bank. And then I just was able to make all these different loans work. Yeah. Commercial loans, portfolio loans, residential loans. I still have my original FHA loan from my first condo that I was renting out. So I, I, I just, I had to, I had to make it work. So when I went back to him and we found a portfolio, I think it was around $2 million. It was 21 or 22 units. It was right under hundred thousand a door. And I said, look, these are going to cash flow. The guy that is selling them is moving out of state. He's motivated. It's a 1031 deal. Their agent was dumb enough to tell me that it was a 1031. So I knew. Right. I so knew so that you got had... leverage at that point because oh, yeah. they need to yeah. sell. They, they're locked they need in. To sell. The restriction. Yep. And there, at the time there weren't a ton of investors out spending $2 million on single family houses. They're buying multifamily. Right. So I was like, we have to buy this. So and all you need to do is lock it in and contract and, and start, yeah. you know, playing with the time. And there's a lot of pressure on them at that point. Exactly. So on 2 million, we gave them a $20,000 due diligence or earnest money. It went hard in, I think three weeks. Okay. And, and he gave me the half million and I secured the financing. We put then whatever that comes out, 20%, 18% down. Sure. And then most of them were rented, but they're non-section eight. And then there were some units that were rough. I mean, we had to take, it was all or nothing deal. He wasn't subdividing all the crap out of it. It was, it was very much all or nothing. 
So oh, we put $400,000 down on it. And then a hundred thousand we use for closing costs and then for repairs and reserve, that's what it was. And then, yeah. And then my job was to, was to stabilize it. I dealt yeah. with the management of it. I hired another property manager at that time. I, we started occupying the units, any of the tenants that were moving out during that were already there, we would go ahead and, and re, reoccupy them with section eight. And then we just continued doing it that way. Uh, we did a couple more deals like that after six months and he saw what I did because after six to eight months, they were all section eight. I mean, it was 20 units, probably averaging around at the time, $1,200 a door. It added up, you know, it was. So you stabilized 20 something units within six months. Yeah, between six to eight months. Because the ones that were month to month, we gave them instant 30-day notices yep. if they weren't able to increase their rent, unless yep. they were good tenants. If they were good tenants, we kept them. Um, and then we gave them more time to either increase the rent or well, we have to, I had other properties in my portfolio that were vacant. So I let them move to another one. And maybe my partner only wanted section eight, which I understood. You know, he wanted that, that, that guarantee and the safety. Guaranteed. So yeah. So I understood that, but as you know, there's nothing more valuable than a good tenant. So I never get rid of stay good there forever. Yeah. I, we've so had even right when, uh, right when we got started, I mean, so we're going on like six years at this point. Yeah. Same, so same once. it's amazing. I don't get, I don't get rid of bad tenants. If they can, you know, work with me, we'll give like a bump, you know, maybe a hundred bucks goes up every year or every two years. It doesn't matter. I work with them. So anyways, finally got them all uh, stabilized within that six to eight month period. It was mostly section eight. Keep in mind at the time, I think there was eight vacant. So instantly within the first couple of months, we were able to occupy those. Um, yeah. The work that was needed on some of them was more than seven or 10 grand. Uh, we had to definitely put some work into it, but all I did was just appreciate the portfolio. Yeah. And from that point on, I understood the structure. You know, I did a 60, 40 split with cash flow. He brought all the cash and took all the risk on the front end. So I gave him 60% of this cash flow until he recouped his half a million. And then I took 40% and that included my management fee. So I was still making quite a bit. We split the equity 50-50. So whenever we would sell out or cash out, we would split it accordingly. And yeah, I did the management. He sat back. I wrote him a check every month, sent him a report. He was happy. And then he kept funding me. So he did some more deals. And then 2018, I had the biggest single deal about about 100 units with a different partner. That was 6.5 million. I actually can Google that. It's actually, they did an article about it. It was the largest single family portfolio sale in the county ever hundred units at a, or I think 93 units at a time. I think it was like 84 structures. Some of them were duplexes yeah. and we bought it for 6.4 million. He put a million or 1.1 million down, funded it. And we went from there and I did the same thing. I, um, we repaired a lot of the units. We got very lucky on that deal. Three weeks after we closed hurricane Florence hit the East coast and it flooded the entire region for three days. It just sat on top of us for three days. And oh at God. the time, some of the units in that portfolio were kind of sketchy. Like, you know, they should have been torn down at some point, but the previous landlord kept it up and it just, they weren't good bones. Some of the roofs were in really rough shape. It's just something that I wouldn't have kept, but they were insured under full replacement cost coverage with insurance. They were all DP2 so, policies. So you just closed we, on this. You had great insurance on it. And we grandfathered yeah. his insurance and the, their agents never did any inspections. They never checked anything. So when we inherited it, we had all these units that might have been worth 40,000 for land, but they had full DP2 replacement costs at 125, 130. Wow. So, and I got a public adjuster involved and oh my God, we did very well. So we just Good reinvested it. Yeah. We reinvested a bunch of that, improved all the properties, new roofs, new HVACs, new everything. And now we're doing, you know, a ton more improvements, improving the value. And we were able to get good section eight tenants in there as well. So for those properties that were those teardowns at that point that 
that were flooded and really just torn up? So the ones that were in really rough shape, yeah. What we did with those is we obviously no tenants could inhabit them. So we got we got rid of the tenants and either relocated them to another vacant unit. And then we just, re we repaired most of them, but oh, you did repair a, it. We, yeah. we repaired some of them. Some of them we just left until we ended up selling, but um, the ones that could be repaired, it was not like mold or significant flood damage. It was more like wind, wind driven rain. So like a roof would partially blow off, water would get in and we'd have yeah. to redo all the insulation and, you know, sheet rock, but we got a good contracting crew and we're able to handle it that way. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Are you doing refis on any of these properties to yeah. after, after you add the value? Yeah. So essentially what I did was that's how I get my partners out. A lot of the partners were obviously silent partners. They weren't involved day to day with the operations. So it worked out really well. So my whole goal after about a couple of years was to build so much value, jack up the rent so high that it was forcing appreciation along with the remodels that we did here and there. Yep. Do a cash out refi, offer my partner some, you know, a deal he couldn't refuse, but just double his initial investment. And then I would take over. I would own all, you know, hundred units by myself. And in some of them, it worked out really well because like back in 2017, 2018, when I was acquiring a lot of these, I had interest rates, you know, back then were like five, five and a half percent. Sure. So, you know, last year or the year before when I refied these at three and a half percent, I was able to pretty much keep my debt service payment about the same, pull out enough cash to pay them all and be out free and clear and just have all the units to myself. And they were super happy. They didn't care that I, you know, that I'm, yeah. I'm still going to be cash flowing twice as much because now I don't have to split it with anybody. But, you know, they got a big payout. So that's, that's how I keep, it's a win-win. It keeps everybody happy. You know, they don't want their little 10 or 15 grand every month. They'd rather get a big check and move on to their next project or reinvest with me. So that's what I've done. Recently though, now with 400 units, I, I really don't need any partners. You know, I'm self-funding all my own deals. If I want to buy something cash, I've got enough cash, cash flow coming in now. That, yeah, uh, now, yeah. Now, I, now I took the training wheels off. Right? There's yeah. no, other, no other partners helping, but it was a really good, good learning experience. I learned how to structure deals. I learned how to put together LLCs and operating agreements and the whole hierarchy of it. I have my own property management company. So I had a holding company LLC. I had a management LLC, learn how to do profit loss, you know, balance sheets, be able to report to investors. So yeah, it's, it's, it's super helpful. So for motivational purposes, do you mind sharing, you know, how much monthly cash flow is actually coming in at this, this point? If, if, uh, yeah, I don't care. I'll talk about any numbers you want, man. I love money. I love talking about yeah, money. Yeah. <laughs> so on 400 units, our average rent right now is around 1275. So that puts it, I think, let me look at the last cash flow that I think we actually had. Uh, we did really, we did, we, a good month is around half a million. An average month is around 475. It fluctuates based on vacancy. So for example, this month, I think we're right at 482,000 is what we grossed as far as that. And we're operating on about... 40% expense ratio. So we'll net about, about 60% of that. Keep in mind, some of these units are paid off. I don't have, uh, not all of them are encumbered. I would say about probably 50 of those units are paid off. So that's nice. just pure cash flow. Obviously we have property taxes. We live in a state with a property tax here of peanuts. I mean, I pay on a hundred thousand unit, maybe $700 per year on property tax. Yep. So, um, same, same thing in Ohio. It's very cheap. So it's very affordable. Yeah. So on that 475, I don't know. Um, probably net between 275 and 300,000 per month is, yeah. is a pretty comfortable net. And then we'll keep part of that in reserves. We do a lot of, a lot of uh, home warranties. So we don't have a huge CapEx budget because we make sellers uh, buy warranties for us two to three years when we, ne we negotiate that in. And that covers HVAC. I haven't paid for an HVAC unit in probably two years. And that, so that's uh, basically like a renter's insurance? No, no, that's a homeowner's insurance or home, it's a warranty, home, uh, home warranty. 
Home warranty. Yeah. Okay. So like, for example, a company called 210 Home Warranty, you could pay 700 bucks a year for it. And any major expenses that come up, even if it's a rental, they'll still cover it. You said it was uh, 210? Yeah. yeah, 2-10 Home Warranty. That's the name of the company is 210. Weird name. I don't know. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I definitely, that's a great tip right there. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. That makes things uh, a hell of a lot more affordable for sure. Cool. Well, I want to talk about financing for a second and then, and sure. then uh, some problems, you know, I'm sure yeah. at, at 400, you, you've done over 500 at this point, but 400. Oh yeah. You act a lot more. Currently. Would love to hear about some problems. If you don't mind, as far as financing goes, though, you know, once you get over the, that 10 traditional properties, what is the best recommendations that you would give that, that you implemented and you saw the success with to get the lenders? If I were to start over, man, I wouldn't have yeah. waited to 25, 30 properties. I would have gone straight to other people's money. And I think people underestimate how easy it is to really obtain other people's money. I, yeah. Everyone says OPM, OPM. But if you're sitting there with no units and you're like, well, how the hell am I going to get some other yeah. people's money? I can't even get enough money for my own thing, right? Sure. So if you really either wholesale your way to it, that's what I recommend. You yeah. know, once you get to five or 10 units, you don't need tons of units to provide a track record to investors. I would say five or 10. Like I said, yeah. if I were to do it over, I would still start looking for investors at around the 10 unit mark. Um, at that point, LinkedIn is your friend. At that point, your personal network is your friend. Selling real estate as an investment is very easy. It's not some high risk startup that's an idea in your head that you don't even have, you know, an MVP for. It's a physical product that they can go touch and put a lean on and they know exactly what's going to happen with it. So, yes. as long as you can show them, "Hey, look, my name's Tom, you know, I saw you on on LinkedIn, we're local, can I go buy you lunch?" That's it. Especially if you're younger, you know, most existing seasoned investors, I go and have lunch at least once a week with different investors locally. You know, I love talking about real estate and they'll try to help you. So, from that point on, I try to invest locally whenever I can, partner. At this point, I, I do need more cash for it to be worthwhile. Just get so many units, so many LLCs, it just becomes a huge hassle. Yeah. So like if someone comes up to me like, hey, I have 50 grand, do you want to invest with me? It's like, it wouldn't be worth us setting up the LLC to buy two houses with 50 grand, right? Yeah. But um, that's what I would have done differently is either do more seller financing. If you have zero people in your network and you have nobody that can do OPM, go seller financing, go to the subject to loans, you know, being able to take over people's mortgages. Both of those are good options. You offer a seller good terms, you know, you throw them five or 10,000 bucks on a hundred thousand dollar unit. Yeah. You don't have appraisals to deal with. You don't have, you know, all the hoops you have to jump through with loan origination, DTI, all the other crap with banks. Yep. And you just start work directly. The loan packet is two pages, a promissory note and an offer to purchase. And that's it. Not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's the easiest closing you'll ever have. And once you get to the closing table, you know, you shake the seller's hand and, and you're done. The cool part too, is that like you mentioned, your goal over time was to season these properties, make them perform and then cash out everybody with a cash out refinance. Well, after about two years of, you know, actually running all these doors right. as a business, any bank will see the numbers and everything oh, yeah. else, treat it as a business and, you know, give you, uh, will qualify you a heck of a lot easier. Oh yeah. And that's the name of the game is unit count. So yep. even if obviously I very much advocate to make sure you cash flow. I hate it when people say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking even on my property, but I'm building I hate equity. It too. Yeah. Like, Man, you're not in a business. Like yeah. no one goes in a business to break even. 
Equity and appreciation is icing on the cake. Yeah. By all means, go for it, but make sure you're cash flowing yeah. in between for sure. If I'm going to speculate or gamble, we'll go to Vegas. It'll be a lot yeah. more fun. You, know, yeah. you, you won't at least remember it because this decision you're going to make, you're not going to want to remember because the first yeah. HVAC that goes out, the first tenant turnover goes out, you're stuck, you know, yep. and it sucks coming out of pocket. So that's definitely something that I, I talk about, but acquiring units responsibly and as fast as you can makes things a whole lot easier. Banks take you more seriously. Lenders take you more seriously. Hard money takes you more seriously. Yep. Uh, partners take you more seriously. Everyone takes you more seriously when you have five or 10 units minimum. Then it's like, okay, it's, you're not a hobby with one or two. You're actually taking it seriously. So yeah, that's so good. And Tom, how old are you now? I'm 33. 33. I love it. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. very inspiring. Very, Thanks, uh, man. yeah, it's awesome. So problems, you know, before we wrap this up in a few yeah. minutes, at this many doors, this many years in, you've had some problems. I'm sure oh, yeah. you could definitely help out some of the listeners and avoid some of those. Anything off the top of your head that you would definitely, hey, don't make this same mistake I did. Yeah, don't buy too big of a unit. Section 8 doesn't care about square footage, completely square footage agnostic. It's all about bedroom count. So if you yep. get a two bedroom at 1,900 square feet and I get a two bedroom at 800 square feet, we're both getting paid the same, except your expenses are four times mine when, when the yep. tenant moves out. Focus on building relationship with those lenders. Even if you don't have a huge income, even if you don't have units, talk to lenders, talk to them about, hey, look, I want to put together a term sheet. I want to buy my first unit. The more lenders, that was a big mistake that I made at the beginning was I didn't talk. I was focusing on one, you know, the bank that I was with at the time. And this, you realize no matter, even if you're in New York City or if you're in, you know, middle of nowhere, Kansas, it's a small community in real estate, you know? So if you get in with one lender and you get a good term sheet and then you can build a relationship with them, then it's a whole idea to be like, oh yeah, I spoke with John over here. Can you help me out with this next set of properties? They're not willing to you know, lend anymore. That was the problem that I did was I got stuck and it took me too long to realize that I need to start looking at other banks and kind of leveraging one at a, at a, at a time. So that's not really a problem, but something that I would consider strongly doing. Tenant screening, like I said at the beginning, don't skimp out on that. That will cause you more problems than anything. Don't force a deal. A lot of people are anxious to buy their first deal and they'll get into something just because they can and they have the money and they have the financing. Just don't do it. It's much better to be at zero units and comfortable than have one unit and stressing out because you're not making any money on it. Don't fall in love with it, basically, and don't yeah. get too emotional into it. Treat it as a business. But at That's the same the- time, don't overcomplicate it and literally take action. Another thing that people do is they'll overinvest into a section eight unit. The unit is going to be occupied for years. The tenant will be there for years. It doesn't matter if you put brand new LVP and $40 square foot granite countertops. It's going to get wrecked over a decade. Wear and tear. It happens. Don't do that. The Corian countertop is going to get you the exact same amount of rent as the granite or the marble. So yeah, those are the big things. Inspections. Make sure you're nice to the inspector. Make sure you follow their rules. Network with lenders as soon as you can. And don't force a deal, make sure it cash flows. And yeah, those are kind of the big things I can think of hand. That's so good, man. Well, Tom, you are amazing, bro. Very Thanks, inspiring. Uh, you, got the, you got the step-by-step <laughs> and, and helping out so many people along the way. You have an educational course out there for Section 8 that you're helping yeah. people, mentoring them the whole process through. Do you mind just letting people know more about that and then how they can actually get a hold of you? Sure. I appreciate it. I have a course. It's a $5,000 video course. It includes coaching for 12 months directly with me. It's called section eight, the number eight formula.com section eight formula.com. You can book a call with me or someone on my team. We'll talk to you about your strategy, help you come up with an, you know, essentially where you are, where you want to invest, 
come up with the strategy that's going to work best for you. And at that point, we'll send you video content. We have monthly Zoom calls just like this, like we're having now where you can you know, ask me any questions that you want. And then I also have a Telegram group where you can DM me deals. Hey, look, I'm looking at this property. Can you help me look at it? It's still pretty small. I think we have like 120 members. We launched a few months ago. So um, it's still super intimate and easy to, you know, one-on-one. I will be capping it until some more people drop off. You know, like I said, it's only 12 months. And um, you can also follow me on Instagram. It's T as in Tom, Cruz, C-R-U-Z-N-C, like North Carolina, T Cruz N-C. And I'm also pretty big on TikTok. I post content every day, free advice on Section 8, free advice on real estate in general, funny tenant stories. I have some crazy tenant stories that are on there. So uh, yeah, you can follow me on there. I love it. I love it, bro. Well, uh, really, really excited to see like where you take this in the future, how yeah, many people can actually help over time. And yeah, just really grateful for your time. Guys, make sure that you reach out to Tom first off because yeah. amazing content. You're definitely going to um, have some missing pieces after this that you're going to need to reach out to him. But definitely. with that being said, if you want to get a hold of me, you can always do so at Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you need any credit repair services done for you, you can always check out creditrepairmobile.com. And if you're looking to get educated in credit, understanding how the banks and lenders are judging you, how to fix your own credit very quickly, build up several six figures or even seven figures in funding, and then being able to leverage it to purchase properties, automation stores for e-com, do hard money lending with your credit and so forth, start your own business, then you can check out creditcounselelite.com. See if you qualify on there for our mastermind group, creditcounselelite.com. And then as always, make sure that you hit the subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, Greatly appreciate everybody's support. We got a ton of, uh, I think we're over like 600 five-star reviews right now. So after listening to a few episodes, you get the newest notification every single Monday, being subscribed, leave a review, let us know how you guys feel about it. And uh, we will see you on the very next one. Tom, once again, bro, appreciate you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. God bless guys. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.